good morning. Thank you so much for being here uh, this morning. Uh, as Joe said, my name is Aaron. They let me serve as the teaching pastor around here. Uh, they haven't got a better offer yet, so as long as they'll let me stick around, I'm going to stick around. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a little overwhelmed with emotion today. Uh, I'm not an emotional person. My wife accuses me often of being a robot. And, uh, but just to see so many people here this morning's first time, um, I'm able to share God's word from this platform. Two weeks ago, this didn't exist. Much of what you see today did not exist. And so just the kindness of God. Um, so that to be said, pardon our dust uh, this morning. I know we have some folks that are visiting today. Uh, it is not normally like this around here, uh, or it won't be, I should say. Uh, we've only been here about four weeks, and so hopefully, we've said it for three weeks, we're going to get carpet soon, and uh, you can see in the kids' ministry side, we're finishing those walls up, and several other things that need to happen to get this thing prepared and ready so that it's a, a more suitable church, and uh, we're really looking forward to that, and so you see heating and cooling stuff everywhere, and it's just, it's ugly, but we were a church plant for two years, and so we met in a middle school uh, for a long time, and so our kids director walked in this morning, and me and Pastor Joe were already here, and she walked in, and she goes, kind of smells like construction around here. And I said, yeah, but it's better than smelling like middle school boy, right? <laughs> so we dealt with that for two years, and there's only so much you can do with middle school boy. Um, so I'll take construction any day. Well, we're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning talking about verse 1. If you have a copy of God's Word and you would like to open with me there, if you're unfamiliar where the book of Psalms is, if you just literally open your Bible in half, you'll probably end up in the book of Psalms and then go towards your left and you'll find Psalm 23 pretty quickly. So if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's word, if you're visiting with us, uh, one of our values as a church is that we are for the gospel, which means we believe the word of God is an incredibly big deal and we want to honor that when we read it this morning. So Psalm 23, we're going to read just one verse, verse one, and David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for this day, God, for this privilege and opportunity, Lord, that we have to gather in your house. God, I thank you for the sacrificial efforts of so many people these past few weeks. God, giving of their time, talents, and resources, Lord, to see this church come to be. God, I pray that you bless us today. Father, I pray that everything that we share uh, honors you. And Father, we invite your spirit to be among us. Lord, teach us, draw us closer to Jesus because we were in your house today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Every time I think about shepherding in general, and that's what Psalm 23 is all about, the Lord is my shepherd, and we'll get into this over the next several weeks, what David was talking about. But every time I think of shepherding, I'm always reminded of an experience I went through several years ago while interviewing for a church. Some of you were part of this process uh, years ago, but I was interviewing for a church that I was at before we planted this church here in Powell, and uh, I made it through several of the interview processes with different committees and boards and groups of people, and then they peppered me with just a barrage of questions back and forth, back and forth, made it to the final end portion of this interview to get the one of the roles as a pastor in this congregation. And one of the things I had to do was I had to go speak on, I believe it was a Wednesday or a Sunday evening, to the majority of the church and the student ministry as well. And then following me speaking to that group of people, then that was going to be followed up with a Q&A session where they could ask me various questions. But thankfully, the Q&A was pre-screened questions. So I went there, brought my family down, and I spoke to, to everybody that was there that evening, and that went fine. And then they brought up these Q&A questions, and I, I knew what most of them were going to be because they were pre-screened and went through those no problem. That stuff doesn't really bother me. 
Well, then the pastor stood up at the very end and he said these words. Do we have any more questions this evening? I'm like, we didn't talk about that. (laughs) So typically, I don't do that bad in in those kind of scenarios or situations. And so there were a few questions that people threw out. They were softballs. No, No problem whatsoever. A couple more difficult questions. Was able to answer those. And then there was one question. And I'll never forget. I can see it in my mind right now where the gentleman was seated. He was in the middle section, halfway back, dead center. And he raises his hand and he said, I got a question for you. I said, okay. He said, have you ever considered being a shepherd before taking this role as a youth pastor. And I kind of chuckled off and I said, what? (laughs) I I thought he was joking. He said, no, I'm serious. Have you ever considered being a shepherd before you take this role as a youth pastor? Well, I thought the guy was referring to the term like shepherd in the Bible, which if you know in the New Testament, the word pastor and shepherd are often used interchangeably. And so I said to him, I said, well, actually, I have about eight years experience previous this. I started ministry when I was about 18 years old. And so I have experience shepherding people in the context of the local church. And so I feel like I'm qualified for this position now. I I don't think I need to to do that. I've been a shepherd for, for eight years at this point. To which he replied, no. I mean, have you considered becoming a real shepherd with with real sheep in a field? I said, no. <laughs> I said, are you serious? Like, like, like in a field with sheep? He said, yeah, have you ever considered doing that? And I said, honestly, that has never crossed my mind before. And fun fact, if you, in case you were wondering, I still have never to this day. There actually is a sheep like farm or a field. I don't know what you call it. Sheep tender. I don't know. I don't know what they're called. Uh, sheep little tender. Literally down here, just on Powell Road, shortly from here. And I've, every time I drive by that and I've been preparing for this series, I've always thought to myself, I should just go knock on that guy's door. <laughs> like, hey, you need a, a shepherd or something like that? <laughs> I need to hold true to what this guy asked me to do. But every time I, every time I think of shepherding in Psalm 23, I've read this, these verses hundreds of times, as I'm sure some of you have as well. I think of that moment. And when we look in in Scripture, we're going to spend these next few weeks looking at the great shepherd that is Jesus found here in Psalm 23. In the New Testament, John 3.16 is the most quoted verse really in the entire Bible. A lot of our professional athletes will quote that. They'll paint it on themselves. They'll wear clothing with John 3.16. But in, in the Old Testament, Psalm 23 is one of the most widely quoted sections of Scripture in the entire Bible. It's six simple verses that many of you maybe even have on the wall of your home or you attended a funeral where somebody, a pastor, quoted these verses. But contained in these six verses, David paints a picture for us of how you and I are to relationally relate to God using the imagery of a shepherd. And I want us to unpack that truth over the next few weeks. Let's talk about shepherds for a second. They're found throughout the entire Bible. The very first shepherd is found in Genesis chapter 4. The story of Cain and Abel, if you're familiar with that. Adam and Eve had two sons in the beginning of time, Cain and Abel, and Abel was a shepherd. The first shepherds mentioned in the New Testament were in Luke chapter 2. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When a group of angels visited this group of lowly shepherds just outside of Bethlehem to announce the birth of the long-awaited Messiah that was Jesus. You then flip over into further into the New Testament and Paul's epistles where he was writing letters and Peter was writing letters and often they referred to the role of the pastor in the context of the local church as a shepherd. And then he also see here in Psalm 23, one of the greatest shepherds to ever live, and that was the shepherd king, David. 
If you turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're not going to look at a lot of verses there, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you were to read through that, you would see that when Samuel rolled into Jesse's house, that he had Jesse bring out all of his sons because Samuel was looking for the new king that was going to be anointed king over Israel. And Jesse brings out all of his children and Samuel says, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. None of these are the ones that the Lord has to be the next king over Israel following Saul. Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more children? He says, actually, yes. There's a runt, is actually what the Bible says, literal translation, a runt out who is tending the sheep. Can you guess who the runt was? It was David. And David comes in from the field. He gets anointed king over Israel. Several years pass before that actually happens. But David spent a good chunk of his life as a shepherd, we see in the Bible. And in Psalm 23, what David does here is he takes that experience and he paints this picture for us of how we're to relate to God as his children. What does that relationship actually look like? It's interesting, the last three verses of Psalm 23 are actually a prayer that David offers up to God, that he would rightly relate to him. I love that. But before we get into the meat of what David meant when he said, I have everything that I need, I want us to look at the first part of verse 1 here in Psalm 23. Look at this with me real quick. Psalm 23, verse 1. What does David say? The Lord is my shepherd. We've heard that a million times before. What does that actually mean for you and I? Notice David does not start this verse on how we're to relationally relate with God with with you or me. In a relationship with God, the starting point of that relationship is not us. It's always God. God is the initiator of a relationship with Him. Let's make sure we understand that. It starts with God. Why is that important? Because if we mix these up, we're going to mix up the rest of Psalm 23. God is the beginning of a relationship with Him. But notice, I love this. David says, the Lord We've read that and we'll skip over it because in the English language we're just like, Lord, L-O-R-D, what's the big deal? That is the personal name of God in Scripture. That's incredible. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh or Adonai, whichever way you want to translate it. God's name, think about this. Pastor Joe, I'm going to preach this morning, man. I'm so excited. (laughs) Names in the Bible were important, okay? Uh, They they had significance. You didn't, you just, when, when your parents gave you a name, It's because it was something that they wanted you to be or God said you would become. All right, so names were incredibly important in the Bible. For some reason in our culture, we've lost this, all right? I heard somebody a couple weeks ago, they named their kid Wind. What the heck? (laughs) I'm so sorry if your name is Wind in here. I don't know. This morning, as I was studying my notes, I literally wrote down, what does Wind mean? (laughs) I don't know. I have no clue. Me personally, when my parents named me, they gave me the name Aaron. It's the Hebrew name Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron. You know what Aaron means? Mountain fitting, right? (laughs) Names have significance. In the Bible, though, it's interesting. God's name that he gives himself, that he refers to himself as, literally means the existing one, the one that is. Why, Why does God's name translate that way? Because there's nothing to describe him. You look at my name, Aaron, and you hear Aaron means mountain, and you're like, well, duh, that's fitting for that guy. (laughs) My daughter, Sophia, her name means wisdom. We named her that on purpose. (laughs) If you know Sophia, I might not be fitting. I don't know. (laughs) Not really sure. 
But God's name is is Yahweh, the existing one. Exodus 3.15 and 16 tells us that's what God's name means. The one who exists. David says he's the starting point. The existing one is my what? He's my shepherd. Notice two things about the personal pronoun there that David puts in there. The Lord is what? My shepherd. What does that tell us there? This is so important, friends. Intimate closeness with God. He's my shepherd. David doesn't say God is a shepherd. David doesn't say God is the shepherd. David says God is my shepherd. For us, that's so important. Joe talked about this just a minute ago. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God can be my shepherd. What Jesus did on that cross for you and for me restores the intimate closeness that I can have with God. He's my shepherd. Here's the next thing. We see an intentional relationship. Not only is he my personal pronoun, shepherd, but secondly, he's he's the shepherd. What does that mean? What was the role of the shepherd throughout the scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation? What does the shepherd do for the sheep? The shepherd provides protection, provision, and guidance. And we're going to see in the next five verses, that's exactly what God does for you and I. Because the Lord is my shepherd. You know, often we try to break this up and we say, all right, we're going to study verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. But what's interesting here is the way David does this is verse 1, the first half, the Lord is my shepherd, is where every other thing that David writes flows from. Everything. So we should actually frame it this way. Because the Lord is my shepherd, this is true. And for us today, that's simply this. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. You know what's interesting about that verse? Is I don't think most of us believe that or can wrap our heads around that. How many of us can actually claim that because the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need right now in this moment. Everything I need is provided by him. I know personally I could probably think of about 15 things that I don't think I have right now. Your Bible might translate it this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Your Bible might translate it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not desire. The struggle that that I have as I've been studying these verses, and I'm sure as we're thinking through these right now, is that's a tough question because we have to ask ourselves, is that really true? If you're a child of God, the Lord is your shepherd, but do you still have wants? Bing, bing, bing. Yep. Do you still have desires? Absolutely. There's still things that we want. So we have to ask ourselves, all right, because I'm a child of God, does that mean that all of my desires are now removed from my life? I know that's not true for me, and I know it's not true for you. I still have desires all the time. Got to learn what, what he's actually saying here. You know, this July, I've been walking with Jesus for 17 years. I know I look like I'm about 17 years old, right? <laughs> 17 years I've been walking with Jesus, and I still have God-given desires inside of me. That's not what David's talking about. You know, I still have desires for food. You're like, preach, preacher, right? We love food around here. Thank God for Chick-fil-A and oatmeal cream pies. If you ever need something to get me, Chick-fil-A gift cards, no milk cream pies, I will take those all day. I still have desires for my kids to have a better future than I had. I still have a desire personally to excel as my vocation as a pastor so that I can shepherd the people in my church better. I still have desires in me to know God more and better and deeper every single day. If you're here at church today, you have perfect church attendance. Congratulations, by the way. Not all desires are a bad thing. And if we don't understand what David's talking about properly in the context of the entirety of Scripture, we're going to really mess this up. This past week, I was hanging drywall. I wasn't really hanging. I was holding it. Other people were hanging it. 
But we were working out there, and we were cleaning up, and my phone started going off. And it was my, my mom. She FaceTimed me. They were out in Iowa. So I answered the FaceTime, and I said, hey, what's going on, Mom? And she said, hey, if somebody wants to talk to you, it was my great aunt. She's 98 years old, lives out in Iowa. And so I get up on FaceTime with my great aunt. First words out of her mouth was, Aaron, are you going bald? <laughs> nice to see you too. So we get through that portion. And she's asked me, she says, hey, can you email me links to your messages that you preach at your new church? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I got her email and send those back and forth and um, hang up the phone. And my mom calls me. She says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. So what's that? She said, your aunt, great aunt is 98 years old. And she said she just told us that she wants you to send her resources to share Jesus with the other residents at the assisted living facility. She said that she knows that they're close to the end of their lives, and she knows that she still has a desire in her heart to see them come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before they pass. Friends, do you see that? First off, you don't outgrow the gospel. But there's some desires that God puts in our hearts that are not bad things. And so if we misunderstand what Psalm 23.1 is saying here, we're going to misunderstand a lot of who God is as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What is the first part? Let's really dive into this. I have what I need. What does he actually mean? Write this down if you take notes. If I am God's child, I have everything I need in this moment that is good for me to live for him. Your Bible might say, I, ha I lack nothing. If I'm God's child, I have everything I need in this moment that is good for me to live for him. I can have godly desires to be better, to work harder, but understand that in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, the book of Romans talks about that over and over, the Spirit of Jesus inside of you, you have everything you, that is good for you that God deems good for you right now to live for him. You lack nothing. You have what you need. Psalm 84, verse 11, David also wrote, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He grants favor and honor. Here it is. He does not withhold that which is good from those who live with integrity. First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 talks about our salvation following Christ and his divine power. Jesus has given us everything. That's an all-encompassing term. For what? For life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. Because of Jesus, I have everything I need right in this moment to live for him. I'm fully fulfilled. I don't need anything from you. I don't need anything from other people. I don't need your approval. None of that. Why? Because I got Jesus. And I can live for him right now with what he has given me. How do we know that's true? We know that's true because there's two kinds of shepherds in this world. There's good and bad shepherds. Bad shepherds don't take care of their sheep. They let them wander. They don't take care of them. They leave them to do their own will. But then there's good shepherds. Good shepherds provide for the needs of their sheep. Good shepherds guide their sheep. Good shepherds protect their sheep. John 10, 11 says that we are under the care of a good shepherd. And because of that, even when I feel like I am lacking something, or even when I feel like I have need in my life, I turn back to the truth of Psalm 23, 1 that says, because I serve a good shepherd, I lack nothing. I have all that I need in this life. And friends, you know how freeing it is to rest in the sovereignty of God that that is true? I don't lack anything right now. Let's get in the nuts and bolts of this. 
What if I just don't feel that? Been there? I know it's true, but I don't feel that it's true. Because emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, I feel like life is collapsing around me. What do I do in those moments? That's the question we need to address. Proverbs 3, second half of verse 5, first part of verse 6. There's what God's Word says. Don't rely on your own understanding. Why? In all your ways, acknowledge Him. What do I do when I don't feel the truth of Psalm 23, 1, that I have all that I need? First off, understand that our perception and reality, what we understand around us, is often skewed and distorted. So we have to learn to take our hearts that are feeling this way and direct them back to the truth of God's Word, that He's a good shepherd, therefore I have all that I need. Friends, write this truth down, and this is going to frustrate some of you, and that's okay. Let it frustrate you and chew on it. Feelings often lie, and truth is not often felt. Hear that today. Feelings often lie, and truth is not often felt. And we're going to see this play out over and over in Psalm 23. Let me give you an illustration to explain this. Like most kids, when I grew up, we played in the woods, we rode bicycles, rollerblades, all over the place. And just like you guys, man, we were out in the street riding our bikes off of ramps, flipping and doing all this stupid stuff. What was wrong with us? And we'd go and we'd skin our knees up and we'd skin our elbows up because we didn't wear knee pads or elbow pads. We'd leave the house with them, but we'd take them off when we got there, right? So we get these big scrapes on our elbows and our knees and we go back home and we're walking in the door. We're covered in dirt and we got scrapes all over the place. And your mom or grandma or whoever it was, your dad would probably take you into the bathroom because you got to get all cleaned up, right? Well, I found out this week, I was telling my wife this story, and she said, well, my mom would grab the bottle of hydrogen peroxide. You guys remember that bottle? It was like brownish black, and you'd pour it on the cut, and it would bubble, and you'd scream. <laughs> it didn't hurt. You were just a sissy. Check it out. Apparently, my mom is a monster. Here's why. I looked at my wife, and I said, your mom used hydrogen peroxide? She said, yeah. I said, my mom used rubbing alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Now you know why I am the way I am. And I remember so clearly, some of you are like, you are messed up. We knew there was something. That you'd go, and my mom, she'd hang my elbow over the bathtub, and she'd get that clear bottle of rubbing alcohol, and she'd pour that dude on the cut. And at first, it felt real cool, right? It was like relief to that burn. And then it was like a demon from the pit of hell just inhabited my elbow. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, I was just blood-curdling scream. What did my mom say? You know where I'm going. The burn means it's working. If it burns, it means it's working. I'm here to tell you something. Now that I'm grown, that was a lie. (laughs) My mom was out to get me. What's the point of that? I know it's a silly story, but it'll help you remember this. Just because I feel it doesn't mean it's true. I felt the intense pain of the burning of the rubbing alcohol. And mama said, oh, that means it's working. That's not true. And there's often these feelings that we're going to feel in our hearts that seem real. But when compared to the truth and authority of this book, they're not true. So we direct our hearts back to the truth of this book. You know, the inverse of that is actually true as well. What's the that truth is not often felt. This is where we struggle. There's another goofy illustration. You guys, dinner, growing up, meatloaf, we all did that, right? 
Mom would come out with this white Tupperware with like the green and pink little flowers on the side, the glass lid, walk in from playing with your friends, you smell the meatloaf and then you smell something god-awful, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and you knew it was coming and you'd go and you'd sit down at the dinner table and mom would lay out this pan and you're thinking to yourself, help me Jesus. And she'd lift that lid off of those Brussels sprouts and you're thinking, I wonder if it's too late to join a different family, right? <laughs> she'd pile those dudes on your plate and I'm like, oh my gosh. And mom would make, you ever eat a Brussels sprout? It tastes like wet grass. It's just, they're terrible. <laughs> and you're sitting there, and, and I remember my mom. <laughs> Some of y'all know my mom. My mom would say, like, you got to eat them. You don't have a choice. You got to eat them. So you're sitting there, and you're just, I mean, you're gnawing on this wet grass Brussels sprout, and you're chewing on this thing, and what did mom say? They may taste bad, but they're good for you. <laughs> you know that was true, but it sure didn't feel like it. You see it? Sometimes things that are true are not often felt. Often just because I don't feel the immediate results doesn't make it untrue. Those vegetables were good for me, but in the moment it sure didn't feel like it. The same is true with God's Word. Often I have to direct my heart back to truth and say, this is true, and my heart's going to say, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't matter. It's true. This is absolutely true. Christian, let me remind you this morning that where you sit in this room right now, you and I lack nothing that is good for us to live for Jesus. We got it all that we need. That is good for us to live for Jesus. How do I know that? Because his word says so. Period. Because his word said so. Let's close with this. We're going to be in Philippians 4 real quick. Human beings, psychologists say, have five basic needs. You have physical needs, security needs, love needs, emotional needs, and self-needs. For some reason, culturally right now, we're chasing emotional and self-needs like crazy. But we all have physical needs. You need to eat. You need a place to live. You need a vehicle to get around. You all have security needs. You want to feel safe in safe environments where you live, where you work, where you play. You want to feel safe. Everybody wants to be loved in some capacity by another person. We all have emotional needs, right? There's an emotional tank that can be filled and depleted, and so that's why we have to be in relationship with other people so that those emotional needs can, can be filled. We can also give back emotionally to other people. But then we have self-needs. All of us want to be the best version of who God created us to be. Those are the five needs of the human being. That's who we are. But understand something, that at the end of the day, we need no other person to meet those needs for us, Period. Because in Christ, God's word says, Psalm 23, 1, that every need I have is met in Jesus. Every physical need that I have is met in Christ. Every security need that I have is met in Christ. Love that I need is met in Christ. Every emotional need that I have is met in Christ. And in wanting to be the best version of myself, you know what I want to be? I want to be more like Jesus. Who gives a rip about Aaron? Everything that I need is in Jesus Christ. How do I know that's true? Psalm, or Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, and we're done. Paul says, I don't say this out of need. Here it is. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Paul says, I can have a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In all circumstances, I can be content. Here it is. Whether I'm fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm in abundance or I'm in need, I'm able to do this. Why? Through Jesus who strengthens me. Every need I have as a human is met in Jesus Christ. So what's the key to understanding Psalm 23.1? Is that when I feel like I lack, when I feel like I have needs, I direct my heart back to the truth of Jesus Christ and his word found in this book. And I say, you know what? I got a good shepherd. And a good shepherd 
has given me all that I need. Period. Let me pray for us. Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your word. Father, we ask this morning, God, that a truth that maybe is difficult for us to grasp, Lord, one that is difficult for us to understand, that, Lord, you would help us this week to direct our hearts back to what is true. Father, thank you for the gift of feelings and emotions. But God, we ask that we'd never allow those to override the truth that is found in your word. God, I also pray now, if there's anybody in here, Lord, we talk about this personal relationship with Jesus, this intimate connection. Father, your word says in the book of Romans that that's only made possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's anybody in here that's unsure if they have a relationship with Jesus, that in this moment right now, they just cry out to you, Father. Admit, Lord, that they have things that have separated themselves from you and ask you to save their soul, not only for this life, but for eternity as well. God, I pray now as we sing to you that, God, our voices would be a sweet sound of the throne room of heaven. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Friends, let's stand as we sing.